everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries podcast. My name is Robin. I'm here with Marcy and Adam. Yay. Woohoo. Well, that was our episode. Everybody have a great night. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Hope you learned a lot. Uh... <laughs> that's, the, that's the general vibe happening right now. <laughs> So today's going to be kind of an intense learning experience yeah. for everybody. So get out your notebooks and pencils. <laughs> It'll be on the quiz. Yeah. We're doing another concept episode <laughs> similar to the cinematography episode, but a little less involved, I'd say. It's a little It's not quite as broad, mm-hmm. so there's not as many rabbit holes to fall into. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some, but just not as many. Not as many. So today we are actually going to be talking about effects in filmmaking. There is a lot of ground to cover. So today we will focus on the history of special and visual effects. And we're going to discuss some of our favorite examples of practical effects. Uh I'm going to explain what that means in just a second. We do think that if this goes well, maybe we'll have a part two where we'll talk more about digital effects instead of practical effects uh but you know that's really up to how we feel yeah this is our show damn it we do whatever we <laughs> want. but it, feedback but if you want to <laughs> oh yeah and your opinion matters too i guess yeah i was gonna say if you want to support us on patreon and then tell us uh, demand us to do it then we'll probably do it <laughs> exactly in film there are special effects or sfx and there are visual effects vfx Special effects happen on set in real time while filming, like makeup or fake blood. Visual effects are shot separately and added to the film through editing later on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, so th- there is a difference between the two things. Just I want everybody to know that because a lot <laughs> of the time they're used interchangeably. Right. And I always just said special effects. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was two different things. Mm-hmm. It is, though. So it's important that there's a distinction. When we talk about effects, we generally break it up into two kinds, practical and digital. Practical effects are used with real-life materials and can be either special or visual, but digital effects are only visual. Right. Okay. Technically, you can't do special effects on a computer. Exactly. You can't do it. So to illustrate this, I'm going to use an example, like Star Wars from 1977. All right. So... R2-D2 is a special effect that is also practical, right? Mm -hmm. But the miniatures that were created for the scenes in space are also practical, but they're visual effects. They're not special effects. Right. So is that, are we all good? We all understand, like, right? get it. Square, (laughs) rectangle. (laughs) Yep. Rectangle's not a square. We get, okay. Yep. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So... Here at the Black Case Diaries, I don't know if you guys are new listeners or if you're listeners of old, we like practical effects. Well, maybe a little bit. Yeah, we we gush about practical effects a lot. They're really cool. Mm -hmm. We like to see them. They make us happy. They make people feel nostalgic. And that's why we're going to talk mostly about practical effects tonight. Yes. Yeah. It's fair to say that digital effects are often a good option. In pretty much every movie that is released today, there is a mixture of practical and digital effects. Digital effects are becoming much cheaper and easier to create, and the studios have been favoring them over practical for much of the last decade. Basically, the way it's been going is it seems like there's a lot more digital effects now than there were than practical effects. That's not actually true. It's just that the, the digital that is used now, it's so obvious. Glaringly that it's obvious, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and since they don't use practical effects for the big effects anymore, mm-hmm. we see it and we notice it. Right. The, the thing that a lot of people say is, oh, movies just are bad because the CGI is bad. But that's because that's the only thing we really notice. Mm-hmm. That's why CGI is so bad because we only ever see bad CGI. Yeah, yeah. If the CGI or the the visual effects or whatever 
it happens to be is really good, we will not notice. Nope. And it's just the way that's just the way it tricks our eyes. As long as it's a good story and you're engaged. Right, in the right, movie. right. If you're immersed and in the zone watching this movie, you're not going to notice it if it's done well. Right. It should be that way with pretty much every effect. Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah. And 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 most of the time that's true, but you know, every once in a while you'll have your movies like a Cats. <laughs> or um you know to be to be current mm-hmm. or or some older movies where the effects weren't quite there yet you know or if it goes way too over the top you mentioned the Star Wars prequels or Valerian was one mm-hmm. it's just you know overwhelming then right. then it's kind of hit or miss for some people i guess avatar is another example you know so you can go a little far but if it's done well enough you're you're right. good to go mm-hmm. yeah so today we're going to cover the history of film effects and discuss some of our favorite techniques. And we plan on discussing great digital effects someday in part two, if that ever happens. Yep. That, you decide. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the history of effects. Woo! Okay. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> need like a transition song, like a little button. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like a like a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've already talked about the birth of film. The Lumiere brothers at Edison's Kinetograph, right? We mentioned those in the cinematography episode. It turns out special effects are about as old as film itself. In 1895, Thomas Edison produced a reenactment of the beheading of Mary, Queen of Scots. Directed by Alfred Clark, the movie was only 18 seconds long and featured the first death scene in film. Whoa. The first of many, wow. many, many, many. many. <laughs> There's only been a few. I don't know yes. what you're talking about. When I, w- when I was in sociology classes in college, they told us that it's estimated that an American 18-year-old has seen an estimated 18,000 simulated murders. What? Wow. <laughs> 18,000? Wow. Probably even higher with video yeah, games. That, yeah. that was like an old estimation. I, I remember... Yeah. At the time, it was already kind of an old estimation, and they were saying wow. probably more. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Probably less for me, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, depending you're on how you're raised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, yeah. We'll just we'll just have you play one match of Call of Duty, and we'll catch you right <laughs> up to speed. Right up. Yeah. I feel like I've probably caught up by now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Just watch John Wick 3 one more time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. maybe yes. you'll you know what? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It was also one of the first to have trained actors and utilize a special effect. Just when the executioner's axe rises, there is a cut, and the actor playing Mary is replaced with a mannequin. I'm going to link to this movie on our, on our page so that people can see it. If you know it, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, it's definitely not a very seamless effect. Yeah. But it's pretty good, honestly. The guy, I just imagined that the actor was holding this axe up for a really long time while they, <laughs> while they moved the mannequin in yep. you know, and positioned it in the exact yep. right spot. <laughs> His arms are getting really tired. That's one Aww. of the funny things that you always notice in old movies like that is where they, you see the cut. Because something moved mm-hmm. that wasn't supposed yes. to move. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah, you can tell because right after the cut, the mannequin is so much more rigid, mm-hmm. and it's kind of at more of an angle than than the body uh-huh. of the person that was there. I would have been so scared to be that guy though, the guy yeah. that was playing Mary Queen of Scots, and this guy's holding a big heavy axe over my head. Oh yeah, it's eighteen ninety five. There's no union. No, yeah, no you one's. No one's. Right. You, yeah. yeah, there's no rules right now yeah. for filmmaking. This guy could I be. I wonder if that was a real axe. Uh, we have people like Edison and the Lumiere brothers to thank for figuring out how to technically create film and even early effects. But it was George Millais that elevated special effects into an art form. So we're going to talk a little bit about him. We've actually, we just mentioned him in our sequels episode, very briefly. So Millais attended a Lumiere brothers show and developed his own prototype camera with the help of two engineers in his theater workshop. So he was a stage magician. And he owned his own theater. And he had engineers that helped him build his sets and things. And he had them help him build a prototype camera. Which is kind of interesting. Almost every single pioneer that I saw in visual effects, which I'm not going to name them all. But almost every single one that I saw, 
I saw a little blurb underneath that said, created their own prototype camera. Like, pretty much yeah. everybody, <laughs> left wow. and right, everyone's creating their own cameras <laughs> in this time period, so... He brought his illusions to the screen, and today is considered to be the father of film effects. That's kind of nice. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a nice. That's a nice stat for the. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say for the resume, but I don't know if it, <laughs> he didn't. He doesn't need a resume. I don't, if he's... I don't think he does. <laughs> I, I think. I think he's a goner. <laughs> R.I.P. George Millais. Right. Yeah. But probably even at the time, if he was doing this, and wouldn't have to worry about finding a different job. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. He popularized substitution splices, time-lapse, multiple exposures, dissolves, and hand-painted color. So he was a pioneer in both special and visual effects. Woohoo! Yeah! Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Highlight that. Part of your yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you printed out the blog post, right? <laughs> Highlighting along. Put little stars next to it if the highlighter isn't enough. Some of his first films... That really showcase his abilities are Cinderella in 1899, The Man with the Rubber Head in 1901, and quite possibly his most famous film, A Trip to the Moon in 1902. Hooray, we've talked about that one before. Mm-hmm. Really the most, I mean, that's one of the most famous silent film movies yeah, ever, yeah. ever created. In, in a very iconic shot. The mm-hmm. one that everybody immediately thinks of is yep. the, the ship landing in the moon's eye. Yes. Right? To the point where I think there have been, like, references to that in a lot of other things. Yeah. Other movies. Hugo I, is a good example. Yeah, it's yeah. reference in Hugo. Hugo. And then I I wish I could remember which it was, but I think there's a band album that has something very similar to that on it, but I cannot remember what it I, is. I'm picturing it, but I don't know which band it okay. is. Okay. Like, yeah. So I'm not crazy. I know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's out there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> out there. That's right. <laughs> In an AV Club article, I, w- I was reading an AV Club article about this great man, and I, that's where I found a list of a lot of his really well-done shorts, I, which we'll link to, because I do, I do suggest people watch them. I watch them. It's 2020, and I'm amazed at yeah. the things that he was able to do. It's, it's yeah. really impressive. Yeah. He really was a magician. If you're, yeah, if you're into movies at all, these are like th- things that you should really see it's just an amazing piece of history yeah in an av club article they say malaise brought a stage magician's know-how and sense of wonder to the new art of film creating a cinema of the impossible filled with alchemists and jules vernian contraptions imps and wayward body parts steampunk i think he's also the father of steampunk yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's it's yeah that style with the big gears and yes you know so I was just going to talk a little bit about some other pioneers. So uh, G.A. Smith patented the double exposure in England using the technique to create a ghost in his film uh, The Corsican Brothers in 1909. <laughs> double exposure is exposing film twice with two different images. Generally, the second image is translucent and has ghost-like qualities. Yes. But yeah, double exposures have been used in trick photography forever. Mm-hmm. Since photography has existed and they learned how to expose, they said, let's expose twice. And they did it and they've made ghosts and floating people. And mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Spoilers. A lot of those photos are probably double exposed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but which one? Which ones is it? Yeah. You one of them's know. a ghost. <laughs> it's still an effect that you do, people do today on yeah. Photoshop. And yes. Yep. It's really popular. Mm-hmm. And I had a professor in college where he specifically went to different thrift stores and would buy old cameras and hope that then mostly ones that still had film in them oh my god and then he'd roll it back and do another exposure on them and then have them printed wow and then see dude that's sweet like that's his picture cool. on top of the other what a people's. smart that's cool yeah Oh, man, you really did go to art school. <laughs> I was going to say, That's like, totally is there like a... an art school thing. <laughs> yeah. Is there a gallery we can go to to see those? Probably. I, mean... see uh, I believe his name was Nick George. Nick George. So, yeah, he might, he might Two be first able to first names. names. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Good job, Nick Georgie boy. <laughs> I'm sure he hates that. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're really sorry. <laughs> Some, fam- 
some filmmakers would film <laughs> tragic events as they were occurring and would recreate them with miniatures and paintings. Isn't that weird? What a weird time <laughs> when only a few people could really like only a few people could really film stuff. Uh-huh. And so you've got these major. So at the time, the only film studios that existed are going out. Oh, there's a big fire and lots of people are dying. Here we go. They yeah. go on out and they they film it. And then they're, they say, OK, now we're going to. We're gonna uh, print this as a promotional thing, and then we're gonna recreate it with oh. little miniatures. <laughs> oh Why? Goodness. Why would you do that? <laughs> you have the original. What are you doing? So it's so interesting. That, that they is did super some, weird. Yeah, they it, it it was they were really using real life to learn how to create visual things disasters i guess in this case yeah they would they would watch it on the film and they'd say okay now let's create miniature miniature buildings and people and things and see if we can there was one i was reading it was i actually think it it was the tragic windsor hotel fire and they had a squirt gun they were just they had a little model of the hotel on fire and then it little squirt gun to imitate the the firefighters yeah oh wow yeah wow. so i mean interesting what a, what an interesting thing for them to do yeah and a, a, a lot of people did it <clears throat> albert smith and Stuart blackton made films about the windsor hotel fire and edison mimicked the 1906 san francisco earthquake mm-hmm. yeah edwin s porter gave the world a great early example of special effects in the great train robbery Yes, I know this one. Yes, in 1903. This is one of the first times that effects were used in service to the plot rather than as a spectacle. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bizarre movie. <laughs> I mean, all old ones are. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually, it's crazy because that's one of the few in the beginning where they colored film cells. Like, they, yeah. they added color oh. s- later on. And so when I watched it for the first time, I did not know that they had done that. And I was like, color in this, in this, what, what year is this? What year did this movie? <laughs> yeah. There's color. 1712. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a couple of years after that. Oh, but. okay. <laughs> Even though effects had been around since the beginning of film, they didn't get any screen credits until the 1920s. Wow. Yeah, kind of. All right. (laughs) In the 1930s, films like King Kong and Frankenstein were enthralling audiences with stop motion, miniatures, rear projection, and paintings. The first Oscar for visual effects was given in 1939 to a film called The Rains Came. It won over The Wizard of Oz. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. A, that's impressive. Yeah, there was a major flood in the film. They said that was probably why. So, the, mm. you know, the use of miniatures then. And they did lots of rear projection, which are you guys familiar with rear projection? Yeah. Yeah. They used it. You mentioned King Kong. Mm-hmm. The scene where King Kong is battling the whatever you want to call it, dinosaur. <laughs> People just call it a T-Rex, so I'll call it a T-Rex. But uh, in the foreground... There's the girl who he's set down in the tree and she's like, oh, watching. And then and then there's another layer of King Kong and the dinosaur fighting. And then in the far back, the background is is a whole other thing. Mm. So it's like these different layers. Yeah. Um, you know, used in animation and stuff sometimes and and probably all the time now if we, if we don't notice it or, or something like that. But it's, you know, it really helped with get, making King Kong feel gigantic. Even yeah. though he's a miniature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they would use it a lot in films when people were driving in cars. Yeah. They would, uh, yeah. <clears throat> when there was a, like, you know, you'd see the the, the rear window mm-hmm. of the car and you'd, you'd see the road behind them moving along or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would, it, they found that if, if you projected an image through the back of the screen, the, on that way, instead of doing it on the screen... It was duller, like they needed a really high-powered projection to do it, but it was more realistic looking. And it wouldn't blind your actors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Since then, Hollywood has continued to use similar techniques for big-budget films. Although it may seem that every action or fantasy film today is nothing but computer generation, almost every film uses both practical and digital effects. In fact, effects like fire or explosions are almost always practical, because matching the randomness of fire or the correct amount of light reflection can be a huge challenge. We're going to discuss some of our favorite kinds of special effect, special and visual effects using in-camera techniques or physical materials. Yeah, you, you mentioned fire and explosions. That's why it's it's so difficult in video games because they have to. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. with movies, they, they can do it practically, which is the right way. But with video games, everything is built from scratch, right? Which is ray tracing is like, it's not a new piece of technology, but it's finally like, being used properly um, where the game engine will trace individual rays of light mm, huh. so that it can make more realistic looking reflections and and, and uh, shadows and stuff like that and fire is one of those things that you don't you know it could l- let off a lot of light over here but not yeah. so much over here and it's just completely random so even to that point it's super weird and difficult because it's so natural you know it's it's something that just yeah. can't look right unless mm-hmm. you do it for real. And I would say, too, pretty much even though there are both special and visual effects in every movie, I would say a lot of the time they're mostly considered visual effects because even if you do something practical, they're still going to want to touch it up with the computer. Yeah, that's true. If, if they have the ability to fix a problem, they're going to do it. They're going to uh-huh. fix the it's problem. It's true. Actually, one of my... We'll we'll get into it more later, but the uh, the newest Jurassic World movie, the Indoraptor, was done like that. They built one, oh. and then they touched it up with the computer afterward. I'm like, all right, all right, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think even when you think about Back to the Future mm-hmm. and them riding the hoverboard, you yeah, know, they use yeah. they use practical effects, right? They they had them on the rig they had the lines you know carrying the actors but then later on they got rid of the lines and they got they got rid of right you know, yeah. they used yeah. the computer for that i mean <laughs> yeah. you know yeah uh but to benefit it it didn't it, again it wasn't completely digital. exactly done. exactly mm-hmm. and it's it's all to just make the best film possible right to make it the most believable thing you can especially in the case of the hoverboards because the strings obviously would take you right out of it right yeah you know you want to create effects that are going to move your story forward and that are going to elevate the the movie watching experience so i mean Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter which which effects you want to use we just think practical effects look cooler they do and they (laughs) last yes they do they last much better yes (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit about special effects makeup. This is a, a practical technique that has been around since forever. Uh-huh. I mean, okay, I say forever since movies. <laughs> since movies have started, they've well, been, they've been around forever. So they've been. Oh, I guess it's, <laughs> <laughs> right. cavemen were using these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were. Ah. <laughs> uh. So we cannot talk about special effects makeup without talking about Jack Pierce. Uh-huh. During Universal's classic horror period, Jack Pierce innovated special effects makeup. His hideous creations from Frankenstein to the Wolfman terrified and amazed generations of moviegoers. Although he worked on Dracula, Frankenstein was his first true masterpiece. So Dracula was the first monster movie that Universal made, and it was the first one that he was the head of... Mm-hmm. makeup for but the the actor who played dracula was very old school he was a stage actor and he <laughs> insisted on doing everything himself so he did his own makeup uh, for that but dracula is a lot less involved as a monster yeah so it makes a lot more sense he did style dracula though like mm-hmm. he decided what the clothes the clothing and right. the hair and all of that stuff and also they had to paint so because these movies are black and white they had to paint people's faces with color to get a special like a certain effect on the film so to make dracula look really pale they painted his face green 
Whoa. Because oh. green. So if you imagine, imagine yeah. the set when <laughs> wow, they're actually filming, he had a green, green face. I mean, yeah, the, that look of Dracula is just the way Dracula looks now. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, in every iteration of Dracula, he's got that style. He's yeah. got the cloak with the red underneath, and the oh yeah, he got, know, he's got that real, collar. Yeah, the collar, yeah. the slicked back hair. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, but imagine if you were green. <laughs> yeah, imagine if we got green Dracula. <laughs> so to get ready for Frankenstein, he read medical journals to find out exactly how a head would look if it were split open and then stitched back together. I mean. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You gotta <laughs> yes. do your research. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you do. He looked at how doctors would cut open skulls and he figured out how to mold things based on all of that. Wow. Yes, yeah. The head was made of layers of collodion and cotton and took four hours to apply. This is before the days of latex and rubber. And so, well, I mean, those things probably existed, but they were not using them for makeup. Yeah, Yeah. 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 so uh, he was... He wore a very... Boris Karloff wore a very big head. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder now that's just the view of Frankenstein yes. as well, because yeah. he always has that big head now. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about some other techniques when it comes to makeup, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's latex, and this is actually what they used in The Wizard of Oz. Latex and rubber mm-hmm. were things that they used yeah. that, you know, things got a little more... Uh, you know, a little more modern. Yeah, yep. <laughs> they experimented a little more. Yeah, yeah. Liquid latex is used in many different ways to create different looks. It's tip. It's liquid latex is typically made of latex, water, and a tiny amount of ammonia. Oops. <laughs> yeah, it's like one <laughs> percent of ammonia. Very small. With a little versus bit of, like with a little mercury too. <laughs> No, you know, I have to, I, I didn't mention it too, but the stuff that they used for the Frankenstein makeup was pretty toxic too. Oh man. Yeah. Makeup, yes. film makeup was toxic for a while. Oh, yeah. Man. It's just to make, it was more important to make it look right. Yes. <laughs> oh, how, how weird. The yeah. early yeah. days, the, the things that those actors went through. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we if we wanted to call back all the way to our movie myths episode. Oh yeah. Um, you know, people talking about how oh actors died because of their makeup, and it's like, well, I mean, it's not totally unbelievable. Yeah, I know yeah. it's it's possible. Right. There was an actor was hospitalized. Yeah, yeah, and that is true. And that, we, yeah, that happened, and you yeah. know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Latex can be used to resemble cuts, burns, or lacerations. It's honestly used a lot. Yeah. And it has the ability to be used as an adhesive to attach prosthetics. For example, a bald cap does this for wigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So I think one of the one of the examples I wanted to use for special effects makeup that's a tiny bit more modern, not as modern as 2020, but a little bit more modern than, you know, the early 30s. An American <laughs> Werewolf in London in 1982. Yeah. Have you seen this movie? I have not, but I know what he looks like. He looks incredible. Yes, he does. He looks so good. It The special effects makeup in this movie, everyone listening, if you haven't seen it, I, I think it's still on Amazon Prime. Just give it, give it a watch. And for anything, even if you hate it, just fast forward and watch the special, like the special effects makeup. Yeah, it honestly, it's so well done. I'm blown away by it every time I watch it, and uh, I just, I thought that was a really good example. Yeah, actually, a lot of stuff from the '80s has really good effects. Yeah, especially when it comes to makeup, because they had to. That was what they had to do. They had to make the character look yeah. the way rather than you know rather than all the computer junk. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Along with latex, there's also prosthetics. Typically, before a prosthetic for an actor is made, a life cast is made first. Anybody have any guesses what a life cast is? <laughs> oh, what a what could that be? <laughs> the most fun experience, probably. All three of us have had braces, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Remember when they make the cast of your mouth? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's the worst. They, they do that when you get crowns, too, I've discovered, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> This is where a cast or mold of the body is made in order for a prosthetic to be made to fit to a particular actor. 
Mm-hmm. To make a mold of the prosthetic, gypsum cement is used. Ooh, fun. Yeah. The materials <laughs> for the prosthetic tend to be foam latex, gelatin, and silicone. Yeah. But I suppose it's it's either that or you sit there for hours and hours while they try to do that different is, molds of different prosthetics because they do point. make the life cast to save you time from sitting there. That's a good there. point. Then you could just put the mask on. Yeah. 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 So they try to do it for your comfort if you're know, an actor. I know, but boy, that's got to be an awful experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially like, especially if they have to do the whole entire face thing where they'll put like straws in your nose. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that you can breathe. Yeah. Your just eyes are shut in there and you're just, you know, you're just. <laughs> oh. Sounds like you really want to be an actor yeah. that Mm-mm. uses prosthetics. We talked about this and I was like, if I'm ever an actor, I'd be like, nope, CGI, <laughs> CGI, CGI me up. <laughs> Practical, 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 but on me, computer. Yeah. <laughs> if it's me doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Some examples of uh, prosthetics in film would be The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's scarred mouth as the Joker. Mm-hmm. That's something that's so simple. You wouldn't think of that as a prosthetic. You kind of see, but you see how his mouth, it, he's not just cut, you know, it's not just like makeup. Right. You know, you, yeah. you, you can see that there's, you know, there's scar tissue, you know, there's a buildup on yeah. his face. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's how his cheeks would have healed if it had happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. In Harry Potter, they did it a lot. And also in the Chronicles of Narnia, they won an Oscar for the silicone prosthetics for that film in 2006. Oh, very nice. Everyone remembers Mr. Tumnus? Yeah. Yes. Mr. Tumnus and the sexual awakening that he gave to lots of young girls. Of, what? Are you t- yeah. what? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you don't know. You don't know about that? that? You don't know about the Mr. Tumnus no, thing? That's okay. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Wow. James McAvoy, I mean. He, he is fine. Granted. <laughs> chef's that kiss. one you can have. Yeah. Really? Like, he's, <laughs> he's a beautiful man for sure. So it makes sense. But yes. We're going to move on from prosthetics, but I, I just want to say, too. We could have a full episode about every single one of these techniques, mm-hmm. but we just can't do that in one episode. So we're just really briefly touching on some of this stuff and kind of giving some examples. But at some point, if you guys want it, I'll do the research. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll look up all this stuff and we'll learn about prosthetics and film. I don't care. It sounds like a great time to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. You guys sound, you guys really jumped on that. You guys <laughs> really seem like you want to do that. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you really want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would do that. So the next yeah. one. <laughs> so the next one is forced perspective. This is a really cool one because it fools me every single time. Forced perspective is the use of techniques to build an optical illusion for the viewer so characters or items appear closer, farther, bigger, or smaller than in reality. Uh-huh. What's the one movie can everybody can think of that uses this a lot? Uh, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind, man. <laughs> I have no idea. I've forgotten. That Could old. it be Lord of the Rings? <gasps> that might be it. Oh, maybe. <laughs> That's the one I wrote down. I had to write it down. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have forgotten. <laughs> I love forced perspective. I love it when they use it in they, sh- you know, in TV shows and stuff, and then they make fun of it. You know, when someone's laying across the floor and the camera is t- t- tilted so it looks like they're falling off of a building or they're mm-hmm. falling off the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, but when all in, re- in all reality, they're perfectly safe. Right. But because of yep. their acting and the angle and the position and everything, mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to fall. Yep. Fools me every time. Yep. I don't know why it fools me every time, but I I'm so trusting. <laughs> I, I just trust the camera is going to be in the right spot. Yep. So I'm like, oh my God, are they going to be okay? <laughs> One great example for Lord of the Rings is there's there's a scene where Frodo and Gandalf are riding in a carriage together. And Gandalf looks large on the right while Frodo looks small on his left. To accomplish this, Gandalf's side of the carriage was built to be smaller and closer to the camera. With a little help of direction as to where the actor should look from the directors and voila, Gandalf is bigger. Uh-huh. There, yes. there are some great videos that you can look up online. Maybe we'll put one on the blog that shows a room built like that where one side is bigger yes. than the other side. And you see the same person just walk from one end of the room to the other and they like shrink. 
it's it trips yeah. me yeah, yeah. it's I, wild it's awesome i love it it's such a cool effect mm-hmm. yeah and in lord of the rings is such a good example because all of the hobbits and even in the even in the hobbit movies more recently all of the dwarves all of that done with forced perspective instead of mm-hmm. computerizing them smaller exactly. or whatever mm-hmm. you know and that makes it so much better because the actors are normal sized, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to like act on their knees or something that wouldn't be right. Right. Yeah, like John Leguizamo in Moulin Rouge. He's on his knees the entire movie. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. The other forced perspective thing that comes to mind, and I can never rena- remember the name of this particular lens. But I know you know what I'm talking about. But there's a particular lens that makes everything look miniature. And I think that's really cool. Tilt shift. Yes. Tilt shift. I knew you would know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tilt shift lens does that. It, it, it alters their perspective in camera. In camera effects are really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, there yeah. are so many things you can achieve with the right lens and the right angle. You don't need a computer to do it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And that um, is like the opposite of this filter (laughs) culture that we live in right now. Because if you get a nice camera and not just a phone, you can make those pictures look as good just by taking it and just knowing what to do rather than slapping Mm -hmm. a filter on it. God dang it. Filters are so much cheaper, though. I know. But anyway, when I was in school, when I was doing photography in school, our teacher told us, he said, the camera never lies, but we can control what it says. And uh, it's absolutely true. One one in-camera effect that I love that you mentioned that is the, the dolly zoom or the the zoom out, zoom in effect. Ah, so yes. it, this is constantly used in movies where you'll have a main character focused in the frame, the main focus, and... Something happens. They have uh, a horrible realization or they've seen something incredible. Yeah. And we get a zoom in on their face, but they don't really move in the frame so much. It's it's this weird illusion of like compressing the space. Yeah. All at once. And it's just like they suddenly feel so much closer even though they're not. Yeah. And... uh, it's really cool and very simple to do. They just put the camera on the track and they zoom in while pulling the camera out at the same time. Yep. It's dope. Go. It works it every good. time. It looks awesome. It's yeah. in almost every movie, anytime anyone has any kind of a realization. Stuff like that is really fun. I really enjoy that. Another example of forced perspective is Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really uh, popular movie yeah i mean everybody's <laughs> that, gonna know I mean, that, that one. one's way more popular than lord of the rings i know we should have mentioned this one first honestly i mean the set for the leprechauns needed to be four times larger than that of the set for the humans nice yeah that's awesome it that is really cool mm-hmm. honestly if anyone does not know darby o'gill and the little people is a disney film from the 1950s i think and it's got Sean, Sean Connery. Connery in it. A very young yeah. Sean yeah. Connery. <laughs> um, Disney loves their force perspective. Mm-hmm. They they use it a lot in their movies and a lot of times in their uh, amusement parks as well. There's a lot of that trickery. Ah. Yeah, because the, the top of the Cinderella Castle at Disney World is is smaller than the bottom so that it looks a lot taller. Oh. And, um, and then there's a ride in Disney, Disney World... Paris, or maybe it's called Disneyland Paris. I don't remember. But there's a ride based on Ratatouille. And oh. everything had to be built huge, right? Because yeah. you're a mouse. So they use it all the time. That's cool. That's awesome. I like that a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, everyone catch Darby and Little People on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next thing we want to talk about just for a bit is animatronics hooray we're probably gonna talk a little bit longer about this one than the others because (laughs) we're big fans of animatronics here yay yeah all right so an animatronic is where you electronically animate (laughs) (laughs) three-dimensional characters (laughs) what do you know (laughs) they may be remotely controlled or have been pre-programmed to do certain actions even though it has become more popular to use computer graphics in film, it still is not a suitable replacement for animatronics in terms of realism. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this is something, this is a concept that I saw everywhere when I was researching. And one of the things, one of the things that I saw that it really stuck with me was somebody who is doing special effects still. He's very much in that world. And he says, you know, animatronics and practical effects make everyone feel nostalgic because it looks like something that we did in an earlier time. But really, he said, we still do all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, they, they just, it looks very different now. And then, you know. Right. I mean, the technology still advances. It's mm-hmm. not like that, you know, everything in terms of filmmaking always gets better and better as time goes yeah. on. Um, people perfect it. People come up with new ways of doing it. You know, somebody will build an animatronic maybe the same way as the old ones, but then the the kind of makeup or whatever that you put on the outside of it might be better or done in such a way that it looks more realistic, something yeah. like that. Exactly. Although animatronics did not technically exist until later, we could consider mechanical clocks to be the first animatronics because of the little characters that would pop out on the hour. Aha. Cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Right. There's there's a little guy inside who keeps the time. <laughs> when my dad was five years old, so it would have been the early 1960s, when they were, when the first animatronics were being created, mm-hmm. every day after school he'd go to his grandma's house and they'd, they'd sit and they'd eat cookies and they would watch her cuckoo clock and wait for the bird to come out. Oh. And the cuckoo yep. clock. The 60s were a different time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that was what that was what he did, you know. That was you know. Real cuckoo clocks are dope, though. Mm-hmm. Let's all be honest. Oh yeah, it was like a big German cuckoo. That's clock. awesome. Mm-hmm. At the 1939 World's Fair, a robot named Electro made his debut, and in 1940, his dog Sparko. <laughs> Marcy, Marcy's the one that found this information, and she asked me before we started. She said, "Should we talk about Electro Sparko?" <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that just—I thought she just made up her own word for animatronics. <laughs> you know, it's electronic. Those electro sparkle things. Electro sparkle. <laughs> Is that a little electro sparkle over there? <laughs> That's pretty great. I feel like if the Force lightning from Star Wars had to be spoken, it, they would say electro sparkle. <laughs> what a different movie that would be. <laughs> no, you will die. Electro Sparkle. (laughs) (laughs) Mace Windu's like, what? (laughs) All right, I'm going to leave you alone. In 1961, Walt Disney's Imagineers developed a dancing animatronic man that caught a lot of attention. They were developing the technology to use in film and... Blah, 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 blah. They were developing the technology to use in film and in his booth at the World's Fair. <laughs> I'll do it again. I'm sorry, did you rewind? <laughs> That's what it sounded like, so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold in the laugh. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, they were developing the technology to use in film and in his booth at the World's Fair. The Tiki Birds at Disneyland were the first ever animatronic robots. Very nice. Nice. Yes. And in 1964, the first ever animatronic was used in film in the movie Mary Poppins. Ha-ha. Do you guys know the scene? Can you picture it? Do you know where? Oh, boy. I read that, and I immediately knew exactly what scene it was because it's it's so obvious that it's an animatronic bird, but I never thought yeah. that it was special that it was animatronic. Yeah. She's singing Spoonful of Sugar, mm-hmm. and she puts her finger out the window, and the bird lands on it, and it's like, yep. and it whistles along with the song. Uh-huh. Yeah, kind of like moves its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very nice. Yep. So that was the first time an animatronic appeared in film. Wow. So if we're gonna talk about animatronics, we're gonna talk about Stan Winston. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Stan Winston designed some of the most famous animatronics in movie history. Ta-da. Some of the most iconic. When you think of a movie animatronic, it was probably at least influenced by Stan Winston. The Alien Queen and Aliens. We mentioned this one not too long ago. Mm-hmm. 
The Dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. <sighs> One of Adam's least favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> and the I T watch one- it every day. <laughs> <laughs> and the T one thousand from Terminator Two. Which is not an animatronic, but I still thought I should mention it because it's a very highly regarded effect and it is very iconic. Yep, and they're all incredibly famous yeah. examples. Yeah. I was reading his obituary in the New York Times, and uh, this was a line from there that I thought that was really, I thought it was really important to include. Although he created some of the most famous special effects in movie history, Mr. Winston insisted that he cared less about technical wizardry than he did about storytelling. It's not about technology, he once said. It's about writers writing wonderful stories with fantastic characters, and me being able to create a visual image that's beyond what you would expect awesome yeah. it's nice the idea that you know it's just like we were talking about george malaise and the in you know how he created these effects to kind of dazzle you know yeah. they, they were a spectacle but then we talk about the great train robbery and how at that point the effects were more what benefited the story the most mm-hmm. and that's what he's talking about you know he's saying look i'm a i'm an effects artist but i'm also a storyteller Storytelling is really what everything boils down to right. in this industry. And, you know, that is what I have to do. I have to create something that's going to help these storytellers tell their stories. Right. In in these three cases that we mentioned, the alien, the, the dinosaurs, and the T-1000 were created in such a way to be the most believable case where it just propelled the character or the story and all of that to a whole new level whereas you know the the alien could have been you know all light up and flashy and over the top and Mm -hmm. the dinosaurs could have been um you know even more in your face and Mm -hmm. stuff like that the t-1000 could have you know there's a whole number of things that could have just been to go crazy and be a spectacle like you mentioned but Mm -hmm. these are just based on the story and what fits best for that story what drives that story forward and that's what makes them so believable and amazing even now those old movies hold up so well because of that stuff yeah so jurassic park we're gonna mention that just very hooray very quickly just for me yeah yeah it won the 1994 visual effects oscar even though the hydraulics were tested many times the crew was still scared of the t-rex because uh, of her gigantic size. So uh, I used to live with Adam, and uh, he one year for Christmas, I think, you got all the Jurassic Park movies. Mm-hmm. And so we watched them all, and we watched the special we watched the special features. And I remember the behind the scenes features for the first one and all of the footage they had when they were shooting the scene when it was it was raining. Yes. And they were shooting the scene with the Jeep. And that it's a very, I mean, it's a very intense scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, the T-Rex had soaked up a whole bunch of water. Yeah. And was shaking. Yeah. I mean. They calibrated the animatronics or the hydraulics inside the T-Rex to work with the very specific weight that it was built with. With the with the exact weight it's going to be able to move this fast, you know, because it weighs this much, whatever. And Steven Spielberg was like, mm, we're going to film this one in the rain, I think. And they were like, what? What? Yeah. So, but it'll be so much more dramatic and good in the rain. He was right. He absolutely yes. was right. He <laughs> to was be right. fair, he was absolutely right. Yeah. But yeah, because of the foam soaking up all the rain, the hydraulics were like, oh, I don't know what to do. It, it's And it was jittering around. You know, it's, it's shivering like, like it's cold. Yeah, it's, like imagine. Yeah. yeah it's like it, it looks cold. You're right. That's the best way to describe yep. it. And they, yeah. they, they had to, uh, just for fun, they had to take a bunch of towels and stuff to, and just slap the T-Rex <laughs> between shots to... <laughs> To try to soak up as much water as they could. It's it's scary because it's shaking so much, and you and you just know they're thinking like that thing's gonna break. Yes, especially like the people in the background controlling the T Rex from afar. They're fine, whatever. But right, but the actors are right there. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's right there. If it if a hydraulic breaks, yeah, something's going wrong. Somebody's about to get hurt. So, who lucky move there? But. You gotta go look up that behind the scenes dress park. Stuff. Yeah, seriously, yeah. You, you should watch that. 
it's that's it's one reason to buy physical copies of things is for special effects. Absolutely, that special is, effects. I'm sorry for special features. Yes, that is one thing that streaming services desperately, desperately are missing out on. Yes. Mm-hmm. The final step when they were creating the T-Rex was to put the foam rubber skin on, which had to be sewn and glued. This was done by a team in which Alan Scott was part of. You had to glue from the inside, and Alan volunteered. (laughs) The worry was that because the dinosaur had to be powered on and fully extended, that that something would go wrong and crush him. Well, yeah, that's a pretty good fear. When when you're dealing with hydraulics, Yeah. (laughs) Their worst fear happened when the power went out for the studio. Alan pulled himself together and luckily was safe when the head lowered and four others were able to pry the jaws open and pull him out. Ooh, buddy. Yeah, that could have been bad. Yeah, because cause when, when, the, when the hydraulics lose their power, they're just going to go Eww. down to their, their most <laughs> collapsed yeah. position. In this case, the T-Rex is like looking down, you know, just letting it, the weight relax. And mm-hmm. if he's in there... Things are compressing. Yes. Oh, boy. Ouch. He got real lucky. Yeah, he did. Yeah, oh, my God. The T-Rex was the last largest head-to-tail animatronic to be produced for film. No animatronic that large has ever been featured in film since. Yeah, those dirty rats. I also want to mention, too, one of the... You know, we're talking about animatronics specifically right now, but... The seamless patch between animatronics and yes. CG yes. in Jurassic Park is really groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were able, the whole entire scene with the raptors in the kitchen, we're not going to talk so much about it because, like I said, we're doing more practical tonight. But there's practical effects done in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, they created the foot for that for that yep. scene and yep. and they were able to basically you know they wanted to do practical they mm-hmm. wanted to do stop motion for that scene they even kind of mapped it out yep they used what was called an animatic and they they did these because uh, yeah originally the movie was going to be stop motion with the full size dinosaurs they still plan on doing the animatronics at, at close up shots that was that was the thing if the if the dinosaur's full body was in frame then it would have been a stop motion dinosaur mm-hmm. And they did a lot of that stuff, you know, getting ready to do that. But then this computer tech came along and was like, oh, my gosh, this is look at what we can do. Steven Spielberg was so impressed with what they did at Industrial Light and Magic that he was like, yeah, we, this is the future. This is what we're doing. Yeah. There was a whole team that basically had been working on this stop motion stuff. Yeah. And they had to, you know, they got a call like, sorry. Um, and that's and they said, looks like you're extinct. Mm-hmm. Or it looks like we're extinct, is what he said. Yeah. And they referenced it in the movie. They gave that line to Dr. Malcolm going up the stairs. Two paleontologists were like, oh, it looks like we're out of the job. And he goes, oh, don't you mean extinct? But luckily in this movie, they were able to keep on those people because they made those animatics, um, mm-hmm. which were fully stop motion, to give the animators something to work with. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the thing about these stop motion animators, they have so much experience in how things are supposed to move and the fluidity of motion right and with a computer you you may not have the experience you may know how to model stuff and move things around in in software but you don't have the same experience moving it to make it feel real and stuff like that so they kept those people on and and built this rig I i wish i could remember the name of it but it was basically a miniature robot looking dinosaur right and you would move it as a puppet like a stop motion and it would translate into the computer so really they were sto- they were sort of stop motion animating the dinosaurs and then touched up into the yeah. computer later on and that's partly why it was so seamless it's yeah. incredible yeah. yeah and i i've seen the video of some of the stop motion that they did for that scene mm-hmm. And it would be a totally different movie <laughs> if they kept with the stop motion. It yeah. would have been very, very different. Yeah. Not, I don't think bad. It would have been a less scary scene. It would have been less scary and it wouldn't hold up as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they were right. They made the right call. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really good they were able to keep those people on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to talk about just a couple more things miniatures and models uh-huh. and this is something that miniatures and models this is an example of a practical effect 
That is a visual effect, not a special effect, because these are shot separately, generally, and then edited into the film later. Right, used as backgrounds and stuff like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So even today, miniatures and models are the most cost-effective way to create landscapes for movies. And if you're going to destroy buildings and destroy sets, some people, we have this really funny idea of miniatures you know when we think of miniatures in movies we think of like godzilla stomping through streets and it, yep. and just hitting buildings and it, and it kind of looking a little obvious mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we that that's the kind of thing that we're we're imagining we're imagining badly edited horror movies of you know the the 1940s or whatever and that's not really miniatures and models especially not today I and mean, at some point it was but they are now used so often in film and it is done so well that we don't even know. Yep. Yeah. We don't. We don't know. <clears throat> it's pretty awesome. I <laughs> it's so exciting to me because I've watched these movies my whole life and I look this up and I see it what and I, I see what they did and it, it blows my mind. I'm so excited that they were able to fool me. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that that's really cool. Yeah. I think it's neat. Like we said, that's the best. That's the best kind of stuff. When you do it right, you don't notice it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So miniatures and models are created. Some of the some of the most well known would be Godzilla. Created and and I I'm not knocking Godzilla when I say things. No, about, it, you it, know it was it's a whole thing about you know time, mm-hmm. money, um, technology, all that kind of stuff. I mean. That was the, that was top of the line at the time. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And you know, some things that we see today that are from a while ago, we kind of laugh at, like, "Oh boy, oh yeah, man." Yeah. But really, I, I mean, you always have to look at it and think, "That's pretty good for you know for what they had." Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty good effect. That's so I see a lot of "Are You Afraid of the Dark" episodes. You know, when they have really really cheesy effects. Yeah, I'm like, okay, '90s Nickelodeon. <laughs> TV effects have never been very good. Right. Yeah. Um, there's one, if we go all the way back to the original Godzilla from the 50s, um, there's one shot where there is, this is before Godzilla goes on his main rampage, and there's a, basically what's assumed to be a storm by everybody, like a, a tsunami and a typhoon, and it's just all this weather, but, you know, actually a Godzilla. Right, right, um, right. <laughs> And a house collapses with people in it. And they did a little bit of back projection and um, and a miniature collapsing in the foreground. And I f- get fooled by it every time. That's awesome. Mm. So Godzilla is an example of using miniatures and models. And Star Wars is another example, especially the original Star Wars, you know, you know watching the death star get blown Mm -hmm. that's obviously a model Mm -hmm. you know but it doesn't look like a model when you're watching the film yep it's just you just know that it has to be because how else would they have done that yeah (laughs) at that time some movies that have that use make use of miniatures and models would be blade runner back to the future part two independence day titanic the dark knight and inception and I want to point out a couple of these. For example, Back to the Future Part 2. Mm-hmm. So there's a scene in Back to the Future Part 2 where the ship comes in to land, and uh, as it comes in, it passes... In front of it, there is a light post, and it passes the light post. And before the light post, it was a miniature. And then after passing through the light post, it was the real full-size DeLorean car. They did a continuous shot, and it was seamless so that the audience saw it go from miniature to full-size car and then saw Marty and, and Doc Brown and everybody get out of the car. It's incredible. Just the simple, the simple fact that there's that light post to block that one, that one moment of transition yeah. is enough to make it perfectly seamless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so neat, you know, that it was tiny and then it was big and no one knows. Like, that's just cool to me. (laughs) Yeah. Another one I want to talk about is The Dark Knight and Inception and and these Christopher Nolan movies. Because Christopher Nolan is well known for not wanting to use digital effects. Mm -hmm. He does not like to use them. 
He will use them only if he thinks that's the best option. Generally, he works really hard to make it so that he can make things as, as practical and physical as possible. Mm-hmm. And so in the dark night, Bruce Wayne drives this Batmobile, this real sick looking Batmobile that yeah. everybody remembers. Oh, yeah. And there's a scene where it goes through a tunnel and the tunnel is miniature, the Batmobile is miniature, and it crashes into a garbage truck and the truck is also miniature. And I would never have known. Yeah. Yep. It's it's incredible. In this case, they, just like the DeLorean, they had a full-sized Batmobile. Mm-hmm. You know, they built a real one with all the functionality and it drove around and all that stuff. Yeah. But with stuff like that, it'd be too dangerous for a stuntman or, or something like that or... Obviously, it would damage the Batmobile, right? And they wouldn't be able to use it anymore. Um, so they built these miniatures, but you don't—it's—they're so detailed and amazing, and it's so well, well choreographed, well put together that you don't know. Exactly, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, this is something. One thing that I was reading was that being able to map light and how natural light is going to fall on buildings and that kind of thing—it's really hard to do. So uh, miniatures are often used for pretty much any movie that involves any kind of cityscape. Mm -hmm. Or if there's going to be a big scene that involves lots of buildings or if things are going to get smashed. In Independence Day, they do it all throughout the movie. You know, there's famous, I mean, a scene with the White House being blown to smithereens. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously it was that that was a model. You know, there's fireballs going through the streets, you know, and, and... the you know the fire was real and but the buildings were miniatures and so even though sometimes those miniatures aren't actually used on screen too they'll build them just so that you know they can see how light is going to fall yeah a a great example um the movie that will unfortunately never be the mouse guard movie some of the stuff that has come out since it was canceled there are miniatures built of like forest scenes and and you know what their houses may have looked like and things like that only to get like you said lighting and the correct detail and what it's what's the vibe going to yeah. be like you know because mm. that you can build that practically much easier than you can just kind of guesswork through a computer but yeah. you know the the film at the end of the day was going to be entirely animated cuz it's mice yeah. but in order to get it to feel right and to feel real they they'd still built those miniatures right and boy howdy am i sad about it yeah i'm sorry about that <laughs> it's okay i just have to bring it up all the time <laughs> <laughs> i'll be the, the one striving for that that movie oh so yeah one of the things that they have to do in order to make this trick work is to slow the camera down so you know to the speed they have to do it you know kind of to match how long would it take for something to pass through this tiny city street versus a gigantic city street? Yep. You know, and they have to kind of account for that much speed and then to slow the camera down so that it kind of matches mm-hmm. up to the same thing. And, and that's how this is done. And it's done so so well. And all those movies that I mentioned, you know, it, the, yeah. you, you would never notice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Movies are cool, guys. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They are. Super cool. So I think it's time to talk about the drink of the week. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it is. <laughs> the drink of the week. We we did a little uh, special effects of our own here this week in, at the Black Case Diaries. We sure did. We <laughs> did. We wanted to light things on fire like Michael <laughs> Bay. Yeah, like Michael Bay. Like Michael Bay. So our drink of the week is... The Michael Bay. That's right. He's well known for doing explosions in movies. And so we thought, oh, a, a drink on fire should be named after him. Yeah. There you go. That's right. So there you go, Michael. Not to knock on him or anything. No. Just, you know, he, yeah. the man likes his fire. Yeah. yeah. He knows what he likes. Yeah. J.J. So. Abrams like his, likes his lens flare. Yeah. Everyone's got their thing. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's pretty good. Check it out. You can find it on Instagram and for free on our Patreon. All right. right. Guys, I think this is the end of our episode tonight. And I don't know if this is a total case closed, but I'll say it anyway. This is another case closed. So we 
might talk about this again <laughs> in the future. Let us know if you would like to hear us talk about it some more. Yeah. We do have more to say about it, but gosh darn, we are out of time. I yeah. could talk about Jurassic Park for you again forever, so just let me know. Or you could yeah. tell us no on that. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> up to you. However you feel. Look, if we're going to talk about <laughs> digital effects, we got to bring it back up. I know. Yeah. So there. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our episode. You can follow us on Twitter. If you'd like, at Blackcase Diary and on Instagram at Blackcase Diaries Podcast. We have a website, blackcasediaries.com, and a Patreon, patreon.com slash Blackcase Diaries. Hey, just as a little bit of uh, a piece to help us out, it would be nice if maybe introduce the show to one other person. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. If that's the minimum thing that you could do for us, we still love you. Yes. Thank you. So, thank you very much. So. Goodbye. Bye. See ya.